0: Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features an excerpt from The Player by Joe Cosentino read by local actor Duncan Hogue. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks young music teacher
1: Andre Buford finds his neighbor murdered on his doorstep and his assortment of colorful neighbors seem suspect. At the same time, Andre discovers an antique player piano in the basement of his apartment building. After bringing the player piano to his apartment and playing it, Andre is visited by the ghost of the original owner, Notorious. Freddie Bertwhistle, a dapper and charismatic playboy from the Roaring Twenties, who just might be the perfect home to Andres Watson. Again, I found myself drawn to the player piano in the living room. After grasping a different role from inside the bench, I switched it with the one at the face of the pianola, sat down, and pedaled. Night and Day, written by Cole Porter in 1932, played boldly. Again, the room turned cold. The lights flickered, and my nostrils filled with the scent of... champagne. An icy feeling crept up my back, and my heart pounded wildly. The satiny voice asked, "'Why are you playing my piano?' I sat frozen at the pianola. Cat got your tongue? I spun around slowly to find the most handsome man i had ever seen in my entire life standing over me. He was tall and lean, with slicked-back jet-black hair, violet eyes, high cheekbones, a thin nose, and rosy cheeks. Though he had a youthful quality about him, I would place my visitor at about... 30 years old. He was meticulously dressed in a pinstriped black suit and vest, white silk shirt and gray suspenders with matching bow tie and silk pocket handkerchief. His shoes were shiny black patent leather with white spats. Even more interesting than his looks and wardrobe was his alluring bon vivant smile. I tried to speak, but but my D- dry mouth forbade it. He sat next to me. I shivered as his broad shoulder pressed against mine. Since he was now peddling, the song continued. James that's Cole's real name. Wrote this song for me. Everything came together in my mind. Gasping for air, I somehow managed to rasp out your Frederick Bartwistle? Freddy the four-flusher to my friends who loaned me, Jack. He offered me a dazzling white smile. Four-flusher? Jack? Ah, you don't play poker. Pity. A four-flusher is a bluffer, and Jack is money. I rubbed my forehead. I must be dreaming. No, you're very much awake. Now, I swallowed hard. Did you... He nodded, still peddling. I carried you to bed and took off your clothes. Thank you. My pleasure. He winked at me. cut a neck. I couldn't believe a ghost had made a pass at me. No! Why not? B- because I barely know you. Look here. I could have had my way with you last night. But I was a perfect gentleman. Given the fact that you were... Unconscious. The least you can do now is repay me for my prior civility by engaging in a smooch session. I came nose to nose with him. I'm not making out with a ghost. And an arrogant ghost at that. So, I'm a ghost, am I? I nodded. Since you know your onions... I cocked my head. Know my onions? You know what's going on. So clue me in, will you? He rested his long, thin fingers on my knee. I'm all ears. I rose slowly and backed away. I know your father made his money in the railroads. You lived here in this house with him, your mother. And your sister until they all died of influenza. He nodded sadly. (sighs) I miss them terribly. Why didn't you get influenza? He grinned. It must have been all the alcohol I drank protecting me from the pox. Rising, he added, Speaking of alcohol, the giggle water has been removed from my bar. How's a fellow supposed to get zuzzled? I don't drink. On the wagon, are you? Oh, no. I never liked the taste of alcohol. It is definitely an acquired taste, which I was fortunate enough to acquire at a young age and keep acquiring into adulthood. I heard myself ask him. What did you do for work? He gasped. I never worked a day in my life! He seemed proud of it. After your parents passed away, how did you afford this place? I spent their inheritance. And after that, he chuckled. (laughs) (laughs) I became a dew dropper. A dew dropper? Yes, a mooch with wealthy and generous friends. Speaking of which, but me. Excuse me? A dimple appeared in his cheek. Have a cig? I don't smoke. Realizing the insanity of the situation, I added, And neither do you! Since you're dead! You were shot on your 30th birthday! Freddy nodded. A most inappropriate birthday present. He leaned against the pianola. It was a bum rap. Gazing at the player piano, he added, I remember sitting here peddling while I told the gent his wife and I had never engaged in Barney mugging. Nonetheless, I saw the gun... Heard the shot, stared at the pianola, and everything went black. The next thing I knew, I felt myself being pulled out of the player piano while you were playing last night. In what year were you shot? 1935, of course. Not believing it myself, I said. Your spirit must have somehow gotten trapped inside the player piano when I peddled. You... Appeared decades later. Like Aladdin rubbing his lamp to manifest the genie. Freddy shrugged. That's as good a supposition as any. He grinned at me. Maybe you do know your onions. Who are you? I found my full voice. Andre Buford. Are you a or too? I'm a grade school music teacher. Why are you living in my house? He glanced around the room. And I must say, I don't care at all for what you've done with the place. I was surprised to feel offended by a ghost. What's wrong with my decorating? He gestured around the room. Gustavian scallop pedestal and side table? Why celebrate the kings of Sweden? I had a Swedish friend who was descended from royalty. He was incredibly generous with possessions, but... Wildly possessive. Having dinner at his chalet from time to time was lovely. But I wasn't about to move into his west wing, no matter how many servants, rings, gold cigarette cases, and silver walking sticks he gave me. Moving to the fireplace, he said. And that screen is faded. Because it has survived decades. So did I. But I'm not faded. Actually, you are a bit being a ghost i'm crystal clear he pointed upward unlike that chandelier which needs a good cleaning it's hard to reach that's what servants are for i don't have any then get some i can't afford it and even if i could i wouldn't feel comfortable with people serving me why ever not for one thing it's not fair to them applesauce Applesauce? Horse feathers. Horse feathers? Nonsense. My manservants adored helping me in and out of the tub, thinking I didn't see them sneak a glance at my family jewels. Which, by the way, are abundant. He headed to the bay window area before the balcony. Turquoise is all wrong for the chaise. The throw pillows clash miserably. The chairs are not in the correct location. They should be side by side rather than facing each other. And one lamp will suffice, not two. Why? When guests attend a soiree, it's best they not see each other well. Light and close distance add age and proof of alcohol consumption. And why is there a plant on that end table? It was a gift from my aunt. We'll give it back. Continuing, he said, And that wall mural and the statues depict piano players and singers unknown to me. Uh, I ended his critique session. I purchased these things in a local antique shop. They are all from your period. I knew most piano players and singers of worth, and I've never met any of them. He pointed a finger at me. And you still haven't explained why you were living in my house. After you were shot, one of your cousins inherited the house. Eventually it was sold and converted into apartments. Placing his foot on the bench, he said, You mean my house has been divided into smaller dwellings? I nodded. Ten of them. How dare you destroy my family's mansion! I didn't destroy anything. The house was already converted to apartment buildings when I was born. I grew up in my aunt's apartment downstairs in 1B. She manages the building. Who is the owner? The Tsar Mian Corporation in Florida. A corporation owns my home? I nodded. This is apartment 3A. Are you saying my bedroom, sitting room, bar, and bath are now considered your apartment? I nodded again. How frightful! And speaking of my bar... He sauntered over to the kitchenette. What have you done? It was converted to a kitchenette. What happened to the large kitchen downstairs? It was converted into an apartment. He seemed astonished. Without servants and the kitchen, how do you enjoy hors d'oeuvres at cocktail hour? Tea sandwiches at lunch and oysters Rockefeller appetizer. Parsnip and celery root bisque, Waldorf salad, cranberry orange roast ducklings, and cream puffs dipped in chocolate for twenty. Cook for myself. How horrible. Sometimes my Aunt Nia cooks for my friend Victor and me. He lives down the hall in apartment 3C. I couldn't believe I was discussing all of this with a ghost. Look here. This is all quite a change for me. He rubbed his forehead. And I don't like it one bit. Well, like it or not, you don't have much choice in the matter. Unless you know how to get back inside the pianola. Actually, I do. How? Last night, after I tucked you into bed, I thought about resting myself, and back I went. So, why don't you go back now? How rude. I still have more to say to you. Sitting in an armchair, he motioned toward the baby grand. Play something for me. Not accustomed to being ordered around, I said. I teach my students to say please when they ask for something. And they should. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Now, play, won't you? I gave up and headed to the baby grand. After sitting on the bench, I played Embraceable You. When I finished... Freddie applauded, joining me at the Baby Grand. Andre, you play beautifully. Almost as well as Oscar Levant. He giggled. (laughs) Poor Oscar was incredibly jealous when Jacob wrote that song for me. I cocked my head. Jacob? That's George Gershwin's real name. And he wrote Embraceable You. For you? He nodded. In 1928... Jacob and I looked dashing in our tuxedos at Oscar's soiree. You see, Oscar and Jacob were an item of sorts at the time. When Jacob and I danced together in Oscar's ballroom, poor Oscar became insanely jealous. But you said a jealous husband shot you. And he did. (laughs) Freddy chuckled. Oscar didn't have the guts, my boy. I tried to sort out Freddy's remarkable claims. You also said Cole Porter wrote Night and Day for you. Which drove choreographer and dancer Nelson Barcliff absolutely batty. In his box at the theater, poor James told me I was the bee's knees, which sent Barcliff into a rage. But Barcliff didn't shoot you. Good heavens, no. I'd have overpowered him easily enough. Play another tune for me, will you? Frustrated with my quarry, I selected putting on the Ritz. After the last note, Freddy clapped wildly. Well done, Andre. Israel would certainly approve. Israel? Irving Berlin. (sighs) I know. He wrote that song for you. Freddy sat next to me on the piano bench. In 1929, Irving played it for the first time in a ball thrown by the architect, Addison Meisner. When Israel announced that I was his inspiration for the song, had Addison not built the house himself, he would have thrown me through a wall. I exhaled deeply. (sighs) Because Meisner was with Irving Berlin. Now you're in the trolley. But Meisner didn't shoot you. Of course not. Addison wouldn't know how to handle a gun. Look here, Andre. If this arrangement between us is going to work out, you'll need to keep up. I became exasperated. Which jealous husband shot you? Can you guess? I racked my brain for the names of celebrities of the period. There was that dancer and actress flapper, Louise Brooks. Wasn't her husband in the mob? He glared at me. The Chicago crime family had bigger fish to fillet than me. How about the famous designer? Was it Coco Chanel's husband? He laughed wildly. (laughs) Coco wasn't married. He winked at me. She was a bear cat. Did the author F. Scott Fitzgerald shoot you? Of course not. Scotty was a good egg. Even though he was... Half-seas-over most of the time. And Zelda? Ooh, nobody went near her. She was too depressing. I'd had enough. Then who was it? I'll say only this. His silky voice softened. He could have been very high up in government. And while his wife and I were friends, in truth... He might not have been jealous over my friendship with her. Instead, he might have been envious over my relationship with the head of the FBI. (laughs) He giggled contentedly. I gasped. (gasps) You had an affair with J. Edgar Hoover? Didn't any wish. I rested my head on my hands. (laughs) I'm getting a headache.
0: This reading of The Player was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on his website, joecosentino.weebly.com. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even a dollar a month can make a difference, and you'll get some fun rewards. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. And if you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier to find for others. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery.